0: Turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 56, Psalm chapter 56, this is our final summer Sunday and it's our final summer Sunday in the Psalms before we head back into Acts briefly and then to the book of Galatians which uh, the pastoral team is very excited about taking you through. And by the way, if you missed it earlier, if you don't know me, my name is Dustin Smetona. I am one of the pastors here at Sovereign Grace Church. And if you're new to the Bible, we are very glad to have you with us. This is a safe place to learn how to read and understand the scriptures. And if you don't have a Bible or don't have a copy of the ESV, which is the version we use, there are copies on the table in the lobby. Feel free to make your way back there and grab one. Or you can just type in Psalm 56 ESV on your mobile device. Your phone has everything, including the Bible on it already. Psalm 56, ESV, and follow along that way. We live in what many have dubbed the age of anxiety. The age of anxiety. That phrase was first coined by a poet, W.H. Auden, in a long-form poem he penned back in 1948. And a countless number of books, articles, and songs bear the same name the age of anxiety we are anxious people we're on edge i mean how often have you heard somebody say or post online i'm struggling with anxiety how often have you used that phrase to describe yourself i am struggling with anxiety mankind has always been anxious may take different forms or have different triggers, but anxiety has always been with us. Where did it come from? Well, it isn't some supernatural force that descends upon us uninvited, even though it may feel like it does at times. No, anxiety, anxiety is the fruit of fear. Anxiety is the fruit of fear. Anxiety is what emerges above ground, but fear is the root system. So as we come to this psalm, I want to ask you, and I'm going to ask you again later, what are you afraid of? What are you afraid of this morning? In Psalm 56, God offers us a path away from our fears and anxieties. And so prepare with me now to take his counsel to heart. Follow along with me in your Bibles as I read all 13 verses of Psalm 56, and then I'll pray. Here we go. To the choir master, according to the dove on far-off Terebinth, a mictum of David, when the Philistines seized him in Gath. Be gracious to me, O God, for man tramples on me. All day long an attacker oppresses me. My enemies trample on me all day long, for many attack me proudly. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you, in God whose word I praise. In God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? All day long they injure my cause. All their thoughts are against me for evil. They stir up strife, they lurk. They watch my steps as they've waited for my life. For their crime will they escape? In wrath, cast down the peoples, O God. Verse 8, you have kept count of my tossings. You've put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? Then my enemies will turn back in the day when I call. This I know, that God is for me. In God, whose word I praise. In the Lord, whose word I praise. In God, I trust. I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? I must perform my vows to you, O God. I will render thank offerings to you, for you have delivered my soul from death. Yes, my feet from falling that I may walk before God in the light of life. The very words of God addressed to us join me in a prayer for understanding. Lord, we ask you now to enter into our hearts and combat our deepest fears. Purge them from our souls. To the hopeless this morning, I ask that that a day of hope would dawn in their hearts. To the fearful, that that their fears would be replaced with confidence. To the anxious, that they would find in their minds peace and rest. For you can do in a moment what we couldn't do in a lifetime. And that is precisely what we ask you to do in our hearts and lives through your word, by the power of your spirit, as we hold up the gospel of your Son from this text. Do what you alone can do for anxious hearts. Help us to rest in you, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. One of my favorite films of all time is the epic movie, Gladiator, featuring Russell Crowe and Joaquin Phoenix. If you don't know it, the, the movie tells the story of Maximus, a former Roman general whose family, after the death of the emperor he served, was then murdered by the new emperor and he was then taken into slavery, forced to compete as a gladiator. Sorry if I'm ruining the movie for you, but here we go. He successfully fights his way through the gladiatorial games until finally arriving at the Colosseum in Rome, and there he faces off with the new emperor, Commodus, who was responsible for the deaths of his family. Before they fight, the emperor speaks to him. He says, "...the general who became a slave." The slave who became a gladiator. The gladiator who defied an emperor. Striking story. But now the people want to know how the story ends. Only a famous death will do, he says. And what could be more glorious than to challenge the emperor himself in the great arena? What a moment in the story. The gladiator who defies an emperor. We love it and I love it. I love this movie for this very reason. When the the little guy gets to defy the big bad guy and come out victorious. Part of what makes Gladiator such a moving and powerful story. And Psalm 56 has defiance in it. Oh, there's the defiance of great and powerful enemies, sure, but, but there's another kind of defiance I wonder if you noticed. David does not just defy his enemies. He defies himself. He defies himself. Biblical scholar Derek Kidner, a favorite of ours as we study the Psalms, he summarized Psalm 56 this way, writing, Faith is seen here in Psalm 56 as a deliberate act. Right here, in defiance of one's emotional state. Defying one's emotional state. Listen, I think this is so timely for us, Sovereign Grace Church, in a world where the assumption is that you should listen to yourself. The assumption is that you should listen to yourself. We need to develop the skill of talking back. We need to defy our thoughts and our feelings, and our assumptions, and bring them in line with God and his word. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, 20th century British preacher and author, he famously wrote, Have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? If we are to persevere in our fight against fear, we will have to begin defying it to resist it, to speak truth to it. Defy your fears. Defy your anxieties. Defy your worries. That is God's counsel to us in Psalm 56. How do we do it? The psalm doesn't leave us guessing. Let me show you from our passage three points. I'll give them to you as we go. How do we defy our fears? Point number one, name your threats. Name your threats. We know the situation David was in when he penned this prayer. If you look at the superscription above verse 1, it reads, A victim of David when the Philistines seized him in Gath. The events of this capture are recorded in 1 Samuel 21. King Saul is in hot pursuit of David, and if he gets his hands on the young man, he is going to put him to death. And as he flees from Saul, David is captured by the Philistines in Gath, which, interestingly enough, is actually the hometown of Goliath, the great giant that David has, by this point, already slain. So David has no admirers in Gath. He's infamous in the town of Gath. And in an attempt to dupe the Philistines and escape, he pretends to be insane it's actually a really brilliant and rather comical move. Uh, I would encourage you to read it, 1 Samuel 21, 10 through 15, later after the service. It's really funny. And it works. It works. Yet, in spite of his cleverness, David is under no delusions. He knows whose help he really needs. He needs the Lord to rescue him. So, verse one a prayer, a petition Be gracious to me, O God. For man tramples on me all day long, an attacker oppresses me. This plea for graciousness from God is a plea for favor. Show me your favor, is what he's saying. Why? Well, because I find none in the men around me. I do not have their favor, I have the exact opposite. They are surrounding me. That idea of trampling him is like squeezing him, pressing in on him. And it's not just a one time deal all day long. He says it twice. All day long my enemies hound me. I have no rest, no break, no sabbatical from this one. Constant threats on his life. And the first line of verse two is just a restatement of what he's already said. My enemies trample on me all day long. He even uses the word trample a second time. David David has good reason to be afraid, okay? Look, he's not worried about having an unfulfilling job or not having his gifts and talents be sufficiently appreciated or not being able to take his family on nice vacations. He has got bigger fish to fry. He's in mortal danger. And he's frightened. He is frightened. Look at the first phrase of verse 3. When I am afraid. (laughs) Not if. When. So what does he do with his fear? When he is afraid, he comes before God and begins naming the threats. (laughs) He's already started in verses 1 and 2. We heard a summary of them already, but there's more. Look at verse 5. All day long, there it is again, all day long, they're relentless, they injure my cause, which really just means they twist his words. They lie about him. They malign him. They smear him. That's what it means to injure his cause. They're ruining his reputation. But he continues. Second half, verse 5. All their thoughts are against me for evil. Verse 6. They stir up strife. They lurk. They watch my steps as they've waited for my life. Look at how committed they are to ruining David. They follow him. They watch him. They stalk him. They wait in the shadows for the perfect moment to strike. These are no casual enemies, okay? This isn't like, uh, like, like the feud between Jerry and Newman and Seinfeld, which is a really comical, comical, funny, light-hearted, <laughs> light-hearted enemies, if that were possible. This is not that, not even close. These are zealous foes, zealous in their hatred for David. He understands this deeply. He is deeply in touch with how serious these threats are and so he uh, he he lays it all out before god he calls it out and he lays it out before god lord here's the situation i'm in he's very specific it's bad very bad i am in real danger and the same is true for us it is a dangerous world it is not unwarranted to be fearful And it isn't good for us. It's not safe for us to pretend like this world isn't dangerous. We shouldn't ignore it. In fact, if we ignore the dangers we face and remain blissfully unaware of them, we put ourselves in greater danger. Now, we may not have King Saul and the Philistines breathing down our necks, but we have plenty of real threats, don't we? Illnesses, car crashes, broken homes, financial strife, abuse— Those are the most common kinds of things that induce our anxiety, but but there are threats even bigger than those. We face threats that could ruin more than our everyday lives. We face threats that could ruin our very souls. The world, the flesh... And the devil are arrayed against us, stalking us, looking for an opportunity to deceive us and lead us down the path of destruction. I mean, just listen to the Apostle Peter in 1 Peter 5.8. Here's how he describes the kind of danger we're in. Be sober-minded, he says, which is what David's doing here. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour That sounds like an awfully close description to what David is providing here of his enemies. It is a dangerous world. So let me ask, what are you afraid of? What are you afraid of? Be specific. Bring those things before God. Look, he already knows what they are. He knows what you fear even better than you do. But he wants us to be aware of them as well. So, when you are afraid, when you are anxious, get before the Lord and elaborate on your deepest fears. Color in the details as much as you can. Be specific. Resist the temptation to ignore your fears or sweep them under the rug. Don't be like, like the dog in the famous meme who is sitting in a room that's on fire and saying, this is fine. <laughs> don't be that dog. Make sure you don't have a shallow understanding of what you are really up against, for the foes that you face are not to be trifled with. So Take the time to know them and name them and name them before God. Name your threats. Point number two. After you name your threats, remember your champion. Remember your champion. David's deep understanding of the threats he faces has a big, important effect on him. As he comes to terms with what he's facing, he has a very practical realization. I can't actually stop these threats. (laughs) Here's what I'm facing. Okay, good to know, because I now know I can't handle this. And so, in a handful of different ways, he begins to remember and call upon his champion. He begins to call in the one who can defend and protect him from his cruel, conniving enemies. Look at verse 3. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise, in God I trust. I shall not be afraid, What can flesh do to me? Now he's seeing his threats properly. What can flesh do to me? A rhetorical question of defiance. That's what that is. That's him defying his fears and his enemies. What can they do to him? Well, in one sense, quite a lot. (laughs) In one sense, they can do quite a lot to him. They can make his life very uncomfortable, very unpleasant. They already are. They can and may even kill him. He doesn't know if they'll be successful. However, if the Lord is in charge of his life and his future, and if the Lord is trustworthy, then his enemies can only do what the Lord allows them to do. They're on a leash. And remembering who holds the leash helps calm david's anxious heart nobody can do anything to david besides what the lord allows moreover david knows the future that has been promised for his enemies look at verse seven here he is again remembering his his champion his protector verse seven for their crime will they escape In wrath, cast down the peoples, O God. David knows the end of his enemies. They will not escape God's just judgments. Look at verse 9. Then my enemies will turn back in the day when I call. Oh, I love the contrast he sets up for us. So far, he's been saying, my enemies are racing towards me. That's what's happening. They're racing towards me, but once the Lord shows up, they're going to be racing away from me. They may harass me for a time. They may make my life difficult and painful for a time, but they cannot ultimately defeat me. And we should take this to heart too, for sometimes the things we are fearful of, we feel like they will never end. But they will. It doesn't mean that we can't be hurt or harmed. We can. We can be hurt and harmed, but we cannot be ultimately defeated. Our God is too powerful, and his promises include a future where every threat that faces you is finally neutralized. And we have to keep that future in mind. We have a powerful and capable defender who fights for us. Oh, but there's something else about David's champion besides just his strength— Besides just his justice and his judgments, there's something else about David's champion that he calls to mind. Verse 8. You have kept count of my tossings, my wanderings. That's what tossings are, his, his, his time away, his time lost and confused and afraid. You've kept count of those. You have put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? our Deliverer isn't just tough. He's tender. He's keeping record of every affliction we experience. He's not sparing us from all suffering, but He is keeping record so that one day He can set the record straight. You know, oftentimes... We can, Christians, when talking about fear and anxiety, we can be quick to point out that the Bible simply says, don't be anxious. And it does. It says that a lot. Fear not, don't be afraid, don't be anxious. So stop worrying. Just stop it. It's so easy. And that is true. The Bible does say that. It's true but incomplete. For when the Lord commands us not to be afraid, he often I think almost always does it gently. He's not slapping our wrists when he says, Don't be afraid. He's comforting us. I mean, just listen to how Jesus frames it for us in Luke chapter 12. Listen to the words of Jesus, Luke 12. Fear not. There it is. Don't be afraid. Don't be anxious. Fear not, little flock. For it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Those two words, little flock, change the whole tone of the command. He knows you're afraid. He knows the threats you face. He knows how fickle your heart can be. But even so, even with those things, you still belong to his little flock, and he is your committed shepherd who catalogs every one of your afflictions who records every insult spoken against you who catches every one of your tears even when you're alone the tears nobody else sees he sees and he records all of your griefs and sighs in his book and one day he'll set it all aright friends when you are afraid defy those fears by remembering both the toughness and the tenderness of your champion. For with a God like him on your side, you truly do have nothing ultimately to fear. And it's good to remember our champion because, listen, the threats you and I are facing are just too big for us, (laughs) okay? Whether this morning you're facing health issues or opposition or depression or sin or you're facing loved ones who you're watching ruin their lives, even if you're facing the devil himself, you need the Lord to intervene. He's the answer. He's the answer. So, so when you're threatened, call him in call upon him. That is your responsibility. You don't have to figure out a solution. Unburden yourself right now from the need to fix these big, bad, insurmountable problems that keep you up at night. You don't need to fix them. You just need to call in your great deliverer and expect him to come through. For listen, he has already neutralized our biggest threats, Listen to how the Apostle Paul describes our champion, Jesus Christ, as he makes short work of our biggest enemies, even as he hangs upon the cross, appearing to lose. Colossians 2, and you, he writes, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all of our trespasses by canceling the record of death that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Verse 15, he Disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. The threat of hell for your sins has already been neutralized. That great threat is done away with. And if he's gotten rid of that, what makes you think he won't get rid of everything else too? He will. When you are afraid, million-dollar question here, when you are afraid, where will you turn? One of my favorite biblical counselors, Ed Welch, asks: when you're afraid, will you immediately try to strategize to keep the fearful thing at bay? Or will you turn to the Lord and offer some version of Lord help? When we are afraid, he asks, how can we turn more and more quickly to the God who hears now that is a great picture of what it will look like to mature in your relationship with your fears and anxieties to be a, to be a christian who is afraid <laughs> being mature as a christian doesn't mean you're not afraid what it means is that you turn more and more quickly to the Lord when you are afraid. How can we turn more and more quickly to the God who hears? Call upon your champion. Point number three. After naming the threats, after calling in your defender, point number three, renew your trust. Renew your trust. Two times in this passage, David contrasts fear with trust. You probably noticed the repetition. This psalm is actually a song with a chorus. It's in verses 3 and 4, and then again, slightly altered in verses 10 to 11. Let me read them to you once again. Verse 3, when I am afraid, I put my trust in you. Oh, I can't hear these words enough. In God, whose word I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid What can flesh do to me? And then verses 10 and 11, in God whose word I praise, in the Lord whose word I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? Trust in God is the antidote to fear of man. If you fear what men and women may do to you, the answer is to trust God for the outcome. Now look, I know that sounds cliche. I know it sounds overly s- simplistic and trite, but it's on the page. <laughs> it's the answer. What does trusting in God look like in Psalm 56? He doesn't leave it as just some nebulous well Trusting God. He defines it for us. Firstly, it's grounding yourself in God's promises— That's the word that David praises. When he says, whose word I praise, he is praising the promises of God, even while he's fearful. What promises? The promise that God will preserve his kingdom, and therefore he will preserve his people, including his king who is in danger. The promise that God will vanquish all of his people's enemies. The promise that God will forgive his people's sins and never cast them away. The promise that none of his people's sufferings will go to waste or be forgotten. The promise that his people will live with him forever. All of those promises are embedded in Psalm 56. And the effect of trusting those promises is beautifully summarized in the second half of verse nine, second sentence of verse 9. This I know that God is for me. If he has made these promises to me and has the power to bring them to pass, then I know that he is for me. Now you, you may read that and say, Good for David. Good for David. I'm glad he knows that. But I'm not sure that I could say that sentence with a clear conscience. I'm not sure that God is for me. I survey my life and it sure looks like the opposite. Look at how messy my life is. Look at all my regrets and failures and weaknesses. Look at all the mistreatment and pain that I've suffered. Look at all the pain that I've caused others. I've got a rap sheet a mile long. How could God really be for me? if that's you right now, I want to let the Apostle Paul convince you that God is for you. We heard it already. We sang it already. Romans chapter 8, Paul quotes Psalm 56 verse 9. He writes, hear it again, what then shall we say to these things, these threats? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? The cross of Christ stands forever as the great proof that God is for you. For God the Father gave up his most precious possession, the Prince of Heaven, infinitely beautiful, infinitely valuable, infinitely glorious, infinitely loving, infinitely trusting— he gave up Jesus Christ for us so that we would know beyond a shadow of a doubt that he is forever for us. For us, If he gave us a gift like Christ, how will he not give us everything else too? There's nothing more he could give for you. He doesn't have anything else of more value. He gave you the greatest. He gave you the best. He gave you Jesus. He'll give you everything else too. Oh, he is for you. Trust this. Say this to yourself. Even when life is falling apart, even when surrounded by enemies, even when they're trampling you, even when you can't escape your feelings of anxiety, that lingering sense that something bad is going to happen to me, return to chapter 56, verse 9. This I know, that God is for me, return to the cross, see your great champion hanging there for you, remember again that he is for you, even if you struggle to believe and trust that now. You should know that a day is coming when he will finally convince you fully. As he often does, David and the other psalmists, they finish this psalm by looking ahead. Psalm ends verses 12 and 13 with David worshiping God for his expected deliverance. I'll perform my vows to you. I'll render thank offerings to you for you have delivered my soul from death, my feet from falling that I may walk before God in the light of life. David suffers at the hands of his enemies but because God is for him he knows he will live to worship God another day so will you. You will live to worship God another day. Even if you die, you will rise just as Jesus Christ did, and then you will worship him for endless days. You will have no more fears on that day, no more anxieties, no more worries or doubts. So today, when you are afraid, defy your fears by trusting in his word. Defy your fears by praising his promises, even while you are waiting for them to be fulfilled. To quote Ed Welch once again, the question is, who or what controls you? Will it be the word of your God? Or will it be those in the land who seem strong? May God's promises control us. May they be the emotional center of our lives. In an essay entitled, Living in an Atomic Age, the famous author C.S. Lewis paints a picture of what it's like to live in a dangerous world with God's promises as the center of our emotional lives and if you weren't worried about you know a nuclear holocaust i'll add that one to your list now (laughs) he's about to talk about the atomic bomb but here's what he wrote so helpful how are we to live in an atomic age and you could substitute any anything else in there right how are we to live in the age of anxiety i'm tempted to reply why As you would have lived in the 16th century, when the plague visited London almost every year. Or as you would have lived in a Viking age, when raiders from Scandinavia might land and cut your throat at night. Or indeed, as you are already living in an age of cancer, an age of syphilis, an age of paralysis, an age of air raids, an age of railway accidents, an age of motor accidents. In other words, do not let us begin by exaggerating the novelty of our situation. Believe me, dear sir or madam, you and all whom you love, and I'm sorry if you don't like stark realism, here it comes, you and all whom you love were already sentenced to death before the atomic bomb was invented. It is perfectly ridiculous to go about drawing long faces because the scientists have added one more chance of painful and premature death to a world which already bristled with such chances and in which death itself was not a chance at all but a certainty— if we are all going to be destroyed by an atomic bomb, let that bomb, when it comes, find us doing sensible and human things. Praying, working, teaching, reading, listening to music, bathing the children, playing tennis, chatting to our friends over a pint and a game of of darts, not huddled together like frightened sheep thinking about bombs. They may break our bodies. A microbe can do that but they need not dominate our minds. They may break our bodies, but they need not dominate our minds. What a fitting summary of Psalm 56. David could say that. My enemies may break my bodies, my body, but they will not dominate my mind. My friends, if God is for us, that even though there be a thousand threats arrayed amongst us, we need not fear. Oh, may we be the kind of people who are in touch with those threats, who name them and bring them before the Lord. May we call upon the Lord to come in and help us and deliver us. And may we renew our trust in the great God and Savior whose great promises mean that today... We can go about our lives free from fear. Join me as I pray that we would. Lord, I do ask you now to unburden our hearts. Start with me. I have many fears, many anxieties. Grant me relief today as I trust in you and remember your great and precious promises. And Lord, do the same thing for all here. For those here who do not know you, who have not called upon the name of your Son and feel beset, weighed down by their fears, I pray that you would teach them to trust in your Son and that they would find a path forward away from their fears. For my friends here who would say this morning, I'm struggling with anxiety. I pray that they would walk out of here saying, I have a God who will deliver me from my fears. And may our confidence in you only grow day by day. May we more quickly turn to you, for you have proven to be good beyond a shadow of a doubt. You have proven that you are for us. So now help us to trust and celebrate that truth, even in the midst of our fears and doubts, for we ask in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.